So we have these um, <coughs> factors of mindfulness and um, <coughs> um, what's called ardor, which is certain keenness, interest, and sampajano, full awareness, or alertness, or you know, I think of this nature, a certain sensitive um, tuning in and ability to, to adjust and moderate what we're doing. So mindfulness, that which bears something in mind, it's a, you might say it's a, it's a concentration, <clears throat> it's a settling on, it's a placing your mind against something, mm-hmm. placing your attention against something, holding it steady, uh, so that you can witness it more clearly. Sampajano is the quality of, of that witnessing, and it's something that even witnesses whether we're, how mindful we are. So we can recognize, oh, yeah, mindfulness is not very really strong today, keeps, mind is very distracted. So the quality of mindfulness is that which eliminates or, or allays distractedness, scatteredness. It, so it tends to concentrating. It gathers things together. And, uh, Sampajano is the quality that keeps tuning that in. So whether you really are focusing on the right object of meditation or being mindful in, in the right way, whether you're supporting it, um, whether you're seeing things clearly, whether you're getting lost. And this quality of ardour is a sense of uh, keenness, enthusiasm, and going for it. So those three, you need to get those two, three together. The, the atapi is a sense of, uh, it's kind of like a certain questing or urgency or interest or kindling of enthusiasm. You know, we can go stale, we can get bored, we can get dispirited, we get disillusioned, you know, and then the, this kind of fire goes out. So in a way, one also has to be recognizing um, with sense of my, of awareness, <clears throat> you know, where you are with that, whether you're getting bored or fed up or disappointed, and how you can keep just checking into that particular state of mind, as a state of mind, the feeling of it, how it feels in your body. And then what you need to do to establish uh, non-conviction in that. We tend to adopt uh, sadness or despond. We give it some weight. So this is really true because I'm really fed up. You know, We take that fed upness as being true and real. Or we take the sense of of getting somewhere as being true and real or the inspiration as being true and real they are, they are conditions of the mind and the ones you need to be really careful of are the ones that have got your thumbprints on them the ones that really are familiar to you whether you're someone dispirited or get very intense you're really going to you know, make it work really get there, get into it you take that, you rely upon that or you expect it all to happen by itself, quite naturally, just sit there and let it unfold. You know, whatever mind frame you have, 
to be uh, alert to that because it's a it's a conditioned thing it has effects and all of these generally have some truth in them you know there are things that indeed are disappointing there are things that indeed are inspiring there are things that are indeed uh, things we need to get very serious about and things we need to back off from but it's the point is when these things become kind of um, mindsets so that you just keep going into it pushing against open doors um, you know trying to you know clean your do the gardening with a toothbrush <laughs> something you need to be quite vigorous and and uh, and almost coarse about you know rather than just fine details when you're feeling sleepy there's no point in going to fine details of of discernment of mind state you need to actually just get a bit more coarse like how the body is sitting holding it up you know and uh, practicing like that no point trying to clean clean the barnyard with a toothbrush you need a shovel and and a spade so sampajano is very is crucial the quality of, of alertness awareness that's where you get the wisdom faculty comes in and it starts to tune in and there's four uh, so to be four ways in which Sampajana works first is a sense of purpose aim second is a sense so is this useful you know uh, how are you approaching any particular mind state what your aim is so if, you, if you're feeling dull is this the time to be trying to calm down or is it time to actually be brightening up? You know, very obviously, what's your immediate aim? You might say your long-term aim is release, but what's your very immediate specific aim when you notice the state that you're in, when you're alert to that? If you're very, you know, if you're feeling gloomy and negative, maybe you need to, might be more suitable to consider things that give joy to the mind, devotion, uh, kindness, uh, respect for others, you know, brightening the mind. What's the right aim? And then that ties into what is suitable, sapaya, which is where you get the word, Thai word sabai comes from this. The Thais, of course, have made it <laughs> a little more than just the kind of a, spiritually it means being much more happy. But in Pali it means suitable, that which is actually appropriate. You know, so you focus on appropriate object to place your mindfulness upon so is it body, feeling for what I call the four proper establishments body, feeling mind, states and dhammas so when we're thinking a lot of speculative thinking is that something how how are you mindful of that well there isn't a foundation called mindfulness of thinking, but it doesn't mean one shouldn't be mindful of it. It means that one recognizes how this is the mind states this is accompanied by. Is it worry? Is it um, excitement? Is it uh, skillful thinking, unskillful thinking, wise recollection, or through speculation? So you 
you actually contemplate or you bring your mindfulness to bear upon the mind, how it's affecting your mind, the mindset. So then it's, then it's, um, you can think or not think, but you check in with placing being against the proper uh, foundation. This is called uh, mindfulness of resort or mindfulness of uh, clear awareness or alertness to the proper resort. So you know, when you be mindful of the cakes in the arms when you come for the, to pick up arms food, it doesn't mean you contemplate the, the, ch- the cho- chocolate icing on them, but you contemplate how it's affecting your mind. So that's the proper domain, that's the proper place to put your mindfulness on. And you, you have that in mind. When you see there's only, there's, there's, you know, 10 cakes there, and there's 15 of us going to eat, want to eat, you don't take three of them for yourself. <laughs> there's a certain degree of mindfulness there. You're putting it on the right place. Like, is the mind one of renunciation, of of sharing, of, uh, as it says in the, in the training, one shares the contents of one's arms bowl with one's fellow summoners. So we should look at it in that way when we go to receive our arms for it. So in fact, you know, you might very well think, well, there's only 10 cakes here, there's 15 of us. I think I'd rather like to just leave that for somebody else. That would make me feel good. You know? But it's up to, up to you. But, you know, you at least bear that in mind. So you bring your mindfulness to bear upon the, in a suitable, uh, the, the awareness brings mindfulness to bear upon a suitable theme. Yeah. So when we, all our training conventions really should be held in this proper frame of reference. What is supportive for our fellow summoners? What causes faith to arise in ourselves, in our followers, in trainees, newcomers, what keeps it going for those who have faith? What causes disillusionment? You know, people are abusive or negative or whatever. What is that which beautifies the human condition? Inspiration. Mm -hmm. So really it's not, it's, it's how we handle these forms is very important. And what is so, one of the um, ways Ajahn Chah would often d- describe the, te- the proper practice of conduct, he says, what is beautiful conduct? You know, now, exact outward manifestation of that may vary from person to person, but surely it's the beauty of the heart, the graciousness or the the precision or the clarity or the modesty or the generosity of it, what we bring forth when we uh, share a situation with other people. This is our chance to bring forth what is beautiful. And uh, it's not a casual matter, you know. You essentially really be mindful, be aware of that. What is, what is the beautiful? How can one support others? how in that quality of supporting others we generate the right kind of keenness and enthusiasm. Because it's lovely to feel one that uh, has that that kind of generous open heart is a lovely quality. 
So we have suit, uh, right aim, appropriate aim, what feels suitable. You know, what can you, where is your, where is your place of where you most easily establish mindfulness? Mm-hmm. Now I often recommend, you know, the body is a place where we, um, you know, is, the, is, the, is the way the easiest place to establish mindfulness because it's coarse and it's, it's physical and you can you walk with it, you're with it. And within that body you can sense, you can use that as a measure of sensing your energies, the energies that govern and steer your mind. And the obvious ways of clearing through either dullness on one hand, the kind of dull, turgid states, or that you might say the hypo, the undercharged, or the overcharged, when we're really kind of restless and agitated and tense, you need to just sit, 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 and loosen and loosen and loosen. This is, uh, so the body is a very suitable foundation, very suitable place, something to be aware of and what you're doing. And these are then, you see, and then uh, the right resort or the right domain, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the feeling, mindfulness of the mind state, mindfulness of the Dhamma. Now these Dhammas are, are really talk about um, processes, systems uh, that, are, uh, that are pertinent to liberation. So in this particular uh, classification, uh, the Buddha talks always about the, either the, the ones that hinder enlightenment or support it. So it's not a kind of total classification. It's a classification in terms of that which is conducive to liberation. So you recognize what, what one's doing. Is it giving rise to further irritation or negativity or greed or is it giving rise to faith and effort and energy and mindful and deep strengthening one's mindfulness and these are things you just keep looking out for and you develop skillful means around these The mindfulness, uh, the last frame of uh, uh, the last reference point for Sampajana. So aim, suitability, domain. The last is non-delusion, or seeing things clearly without delusion. And I think it's quite uh, <coughs> shocking to realize how much of the mind's activity is, is, is delusion. You know, it's covering up. It's uh, proliferating around. It's fudging. It's uh, abstracting. It's theorizing. You know, so we can bury our hurtness or our pushiness or our 
fearfulness or our, you know, those kind of qualities which we're really uncomfortable with under a whole load of waffle. You know, there's storylines that the mind spins out. What I am, what I was, what I should be, what I never will be. So so it goes on and on and on. And there's something, even though these are all, you know, they're quite quite convincing in a way and colourful, certain characteristics you can recognise about them is that how involuntary they are, you know, you don't tell a story, a story tells you. It just moves in and starts taking over. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they're not, they're not verbal stories, they're emotional stories. They're not, they're not linguistic, they're not words, they're just kind of tight emotional currents. They just start moving and take over. We all get possessed in a way. So, you know, by obsessiveness, by fantasies of various kinds. Sometimes at the point when you really, people really lose it. The kind of boundary breakthrough actually takes over your behavior. You know, kind of enlightenment experiences where you really lose the plot. You know, you've had something that oh, just moves in and takes over, very powerful energies take over. Sanya vipalasa, distorted perceptions. So when you get this sense of something obsessing, something preoccupying, something that almost seems to walk with you or cover you up or sit on you, press in on you, sort of bears down upon you. You know, this is not, this is, this is the force of delusion. You want to believe in it. Make a self out of it. But then you come back to, you know, mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of the skillful, unskillful actions, mindfulness of living in, in terms of the Dhamma. Mm-hmm. So we have this various things like sense restraint, um, right speech, right action, right livelihood. You know, very broad, ethical and compassionate um, foundations. So it's really important to remember a simple thing like that you know, the we sense, the sense of uh, some of the ethics and compassion are two aspects of the we sense. Isn't it? it means I don't do to you what I don't want you to do to me. So that's both moral and kindly. And I think that's a very, to me, that's a very good, not esoteric, you know, not even specifically Buddhist, kind of basic human decency standard to to stay with because then there really is a kind of a a revealing of the edge of self where I want to dump on somebody (laughs) or I get angry with you 
or I don't want to share with you. You know, you feel these these kind of fears and irritations and things like that creeping in. Ah, that's the place, you know, where you start to, you know, bring your awareness, your mindfulness and awareness onto what's happening in that place of contact of me and you, the mistrust or the uncertainties or the projections. And you see, what, what really is happening here underneath me and you? Underneath them and us, what's really happening? The mind being affected by mistrust, by fear. And of course, there's always something in there that's true. We're never never 100% total delusion. This is the mind affected by delusion. So we make a small or a specific topic into a global presentation. We make a piece of one thing that happened into a total picture. And this means that then the mind becomes, you know, absolutizes the the specific and in our life it's often the the the, uh, task or one of the is to actually be able to address these specifics in in a way that's just kind of like well is this you know keep cleaning it because we can't come into this life with no delusion can't come in spotless. We have to come in as we are and have that eagerness to learn about delusion. Clear it. See how it happens. So one of the, you might say, <coughs> even <coughs> more refined level and one of the qualities of delusion is it, it denies or it doesn't take into account the, the, what are called the three characteristics in the incompleteness or the unsatisfactory, the non-final, the way that everything is just unfinished, never quite enough, never quite done, never completely settled, can be just a bit feeling of, oh, I've got to keep going, that sense, or not really get into the you know, final, oh, this is it, really got it all together. It's unsatisfied. It's not necessarily anguished. It means there's something more I need to know, something more I need to get, something more I need to be. It's that, that, you know, that's a characteristic. When you see that characteristic as it is, you don't have to adopt it as your teacher, <laughs> as something you're going to be led by. Yeah? following it, just recognize what's happening in the, in the mind and start to say, is, is this actually, how true is this? How much more can one know, have, be? How much will be enough? So the, as far as I can see, the, the you know, on one level there isn't enough. There's always a little bit more to know, to say, to do, to 
accomplish. There's a truth in that. There's also a truth in that the nagging fearfulness, sense of loss, sense of hunger in the heart is uh, the only thing we're really trying to release ourselves from. If we, if we adopt it as a final truth, we never release ourselves from it. If we ignore it as completely meaningless, we don't, we don't hold it with mindfulness. So you can't say there is no such thing as dukkha. It's all just a fantasy. Nor can one, should one really say everything is suffering. Both of those positions shut off the path. There's no suffering, there's nothing to release from. Well, so why bother? If everything is suffering, there's no, there's no release, so you can't do it. We're just going to be stuck in this continual hungry state like a dog straining at the leash trying to get his bone. It's always moving a bit, an inch out of, out of reach. But mindfulness and contemplation and full awareness of that means that there's the non-reaction to that, non-grasping of that, the non-adopting of it, and something else starts to occur. Or non-desire. So we can feel that sense, and yet there's also a spaciousness, a non-adopting of that. In the non-adopting, there's a, some sort of release, openness, spaciousness, you know, difficult to put it in words, but uh, you just, you can do that. It's something one can recognize the unsatisfactoriness without being glib about it, like, oh, so what? It's not a resignation. It's not an affirmation, it's not a denial. There's a clarity, a compassion, a sharpness, an openness in that. Delusion always either denies it, blames it, absolutizes it, shuts off from it, runs away from it. That's always the deluded approach. So this is kind of getting into a subtler level of delusion than the really kind of gross, crazy stuff. It's also the characteristic of change or inconstancy, anichang. So we're experiencing something. At the moment we're experiencing it, it has a very <coughs> full contact. It seems to be where we really are. We feel ourselves forming at the place of contact. A disagreeable sensation occurs, we feel ourselves tightening up against that, challenged by that. An unpleasant mind state occurs, we feel ourselves, oh dear, struggling with that. Hmm? 
It's a funny thing to say, but sometimes taking it too seriously. There's a loss of recognition of of the inconstant changing and also the, the, the selfless nature of these things. So the third characteristic, non-self. You know, this is just the mind doing what minds do. These are just this is just the movement of the mind. There's something that's more balanced and lighter about that. Can't exactly call it playful because it's not creative, but it is non. It's 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 flexible. We're not stiffened and trapped by the formations that arise. We're not formed at the edge of them. We're not pressed down by them. We become more like clouds through which these things just travel without, without impingement, without impediment. And through that, there is a, there's a cooling of the, of the um, forces that generate these, um, these difficulties. Mm-hmm. Seeing things clearly as they are, that means that there's a shift, a non-chosen shift, an involuntary shift, but a very natural shift towards dispassion, equanimity, openness, stillness, availability, which is not afflicted, not stuck, not impeded upon, doesn't obstruct anything, doesn't adopt anything. Just notice, like you know, when you you uh, feel the cold, or you take a cold shower, or something. If you do those things, sometimes I do those things just to see what happens. <laughs> Always interested in in feeling. Uh, it certainly wakes you up a bit. Uh, but you know, at the moment of feeling, at the moment of being about to feel it, the mind gets very apprehensive. If I, if I linger there too long, I don't do it. <laughs> I do it sort of fairly, you know, with a sense of just, here we go, see what happens, and then feel this kind of explosion of feeling. And at the moment of the feeling, it, it seems so absolutely total and real and, and unbearable, and then and it's gone. And it was bearable, and it wasn't total. <laughs> you know? And it's that sense of the willingness to be open to these things. Through seeing that the, you know, the bluster, the push of feeling, the push of the mind, is like a, like a bully punching shadows. <laughs> you, know, you don't have to be so solid. You don't have to keep firming up. And then the bully starts to get, kind of lose, lose his real vigor and interest in, in beating you up. <laughs> this is just a kind of way of put, trying to put it figuratively, you know. But to see things with, in, you know, a subtler level of non-delusion is to see the 
you know, kind of ephemeral nature, not to not see them, not to ignore them, not to find the real thing, but to see the no thing, or to know the no thing. It's a place or a, a, a mode of non-grasping. So when everything becomes solid or we start to look for the solid, you should be quite aware or attuned into that. Solid things are, we might say, skillful means. The structures that we use, are they external structures, internal structures, these are not to be dismissed. These are skillful means and there means that we can tune into because we don't have anything solid to tune into we never really get bearings on how we're operating if we keep moving things around you never really get to see where one is deluded where one is pushy where one is lazy where one is greedy where one is rebellious where one is conceited and you need, we need to see these things yeah? You get kind of uptight about forms, or you get dismissive about forms, critical about forms, rebellious about forms. You know, don't need to be mindful, just sit here and let it happen. Got to maintain unwavering vigilance over every millisecond of the mind. You know, <laughs> these kind of ways in which we adopt a view. You know, uh, how natural that is. How natural it is. You want to be able to see that. So that through that seeing of it, you use a form to, so that you can begin to measure the stuff you have to work with, these underlying qualities you have to work with. The aim here, of course, is not finally to be whatever the model nun or monk is. It's to use these forms in one's own individuality, with the clarity, integrity, to keep witnessing and clearing these universal obsessions, views, hindrances, becomings, sensuality, the floods, the, the, the cankers, the ignorance of it all. comes down to things like, you know, even s- sitting. How, what, what is sitting upright? You know, you can have it kind of bolted like, you, like you've got a steel girder in your back. <laughs> or you could have it like kind of like sponge rubber. You know, it's sort of upright. means my chin is not actually hitting the ground. Because <laughs> it's got to be upright and comfortable. So you're right, upright, 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 then it's not comfortable. Comfortable, 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 it's not upright. <laughs> awake, 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 but it's no longer joyful. Joyful, but it's no longer awake. <laughs> That's what it's like working with forms. You know? And you see, you've got to have the paradox. I, I like the paradox. You know, this is about being really serious in a playful way. What? <laughs> this is about, you know... <laughs> Soft firmness, holding firmness softly. Yeah. So, you know, when you get to just one side of that equation, 
it always goes off. So look at the paradoxes. You know, try to hold the paradoxes. That's why finally, you know, ultimate, there's no such thing as the ultimate truth that could be expressed because it's just the no, no position, no thing. In which we use positions and things as relative training standards to measure ourselves, to clear ourselves, to clear the, to pull out the floods. So what is the right aim at any given moment? What is the right aim in general? You know, to release, to joyfulness, to peacefulness, to harmony, to non-attachment. You know, then what is it right now? You know, because we can make these things, these kind of far-off, rather inspiring notions. That's what I want. But actually the nitty-gritty of it means... You know, get up and walk up and down the Dumber Hall. Oh, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's too much effort. You know, or whatever it is, sit still for an hour. So what do we need to do right now? That's the aim. And even more subtly, the particular mindset once with. What is suitable? How much effort is it? How intense, you know, sometimes you need to be less intense. It's so hung up on, you know, holding and controlling and and strong definition and lose the quality of of open-heartedness and and lightness and sensitivity. You've got to get brutal with ourselves. And then that, whatever the way you attend, will bring, attention always brings energy with it. So the quality of your attention will bring a corresponding quality of energy into your body, into your mind. If your attention is very pushy, that's what you get. You get intense energy rushing through you. Do you need any more of that? On the other extreme, if your attention is just, well, we'll get round to it one day or another, that's what you're going to drink. Kind of lukewarm soup. Yeah. With no, not much nourishment in it, not much goodness in it. You know, you have to know the right temperature yourself, but, but keep checking it out. What's suitable? What's the right domain? You know, check things out against your body, check things out against your mind, check things out against whether this is giving rise to skillful factors or unskillful factors. It may sound a lot, but I'm talking about something you're doing over, you know, a few days, really. Following this path and saying, wait a minute, I've been doing that for the last five days and that's where it goes wrong. Oh, yeah, it's that particular bit. It's not the whole thing, it's just that little piece I'm doing there, the piece I'm missing. And then non-delusion not buying into the stories, the gross stories, or the subtle stories that uh, are the concoctions of the mind. Mm 